Hello, welcome to the Pilgrim Path Podcast. I'm Chris Serber, the Senior Minister at First Congregational Church of Naples, Florida, as well as the Executive Director of Supply and Multiply, a ministry that my family and I founded while living in Moe, Haiti some years ago. I'm excited this morning to share some time getting to know better and learning more about the personal story of Pastor Seth Jones, uh, who has graciously agreed to have a conversation with me today on the topic of, uh, of spiritual abuse, of cults, cultic practice, but we're going to specifically uh, get into some of his story and then flesh out some of these ideas. Uh, and uh, so welcome, Seth. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with me here today. Thank you, Chris. It's great to be with you. And uh, thank you for asking me to do this. And uh, as, you, as you said, I'm, I'm the pastor of Rockland Congregational Church in Rockland, Maine. I've been here since 2009, so almost uh, 12 years, which is the longest I've ever been anywhere, which mm. is dumb. And so, uh, yeah, and uh, this will be fun. I've, I've been around the spiritual block a few times, and so um, I, I have some some more than passing experience with ideas around cults and spiritual abuse and how those relate to our, our lives of faith. So, uh, Very good. I'm so looking forward to hearing your story and how this sort of conversation came about. Uh, I had posted something on Facebook and then I had seen a comment that you had made. And, uh, you know, this is an area of increasing concern or uh, interest at the very least for my wife, Christina and I, you know, we, we uh, for, for various reasons uh, over the years in different churches that I've served, I've noticed different kinds of spiritual abuse that seem to be latent in the church's culture, say from yeah. past experiences, you know, from, uh, uh, from conflict in the church. I've served a lot of churches that had conflict in their, in their recent or, or, or in their regular past. And um, I've noticed that. Uh, and, and then also, she and I, we watched this series of documentaries on cults, and it really opened our eyes up to a number of things. And then doing ministry in Haiti, training pastors, uh, I, had a con I had a conversation once with a room full of pastors where a man raised his hand and, and he's asking questions. And most of these men were, were essentially untrained. You know, the average Haitian pastor yeah. doesn't get the opportunity to go to seminary. And sure. um, so one of them asked me, okay, uh, I have a question for you. If I know a woman is uh, committing adultery and she's a member of my church, is it good practice for me during the worship service to bring her up front, sit her in a chair and confront her with her sin in front of the whole community on a Sunday morning? And instantly I'm thinking of, of, of the woman caught in adultery in, in, uh, in Jesus talking about, oh, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. So I encourage this man that that was probably not best practice, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it occurs to me that sometimes because of a lack of knowledge, a lack of training, sometimes because of past um, painful uh, situations, that there are a number of reasons why church leaders and churches fall into spiritual abuse practices. And then on the spectrum of cults and cultic behavior, there's so many things going on. So, so I am really curious uh, in this ongoing learning process that my wife and I are engaged in and understanding these things uh, to, uh, to hear more about your story. Yeah, well, um, I guess 
So I, I was in, I was called to the ministry when I was around 15 years old. And when I graduated from college, I went to seminary initially with the intent of uh, going into the ministry and ended up getting a master of arts degree rather than an MDiv degree in part because uh, by the time I got to my senior year of that program, I had essentially lost my faith. I was outside of the Christian context by the time I was done. And I was, uh, um, I was uh, sort of adrift. I didn't have a home church. And for various reasons, my wife and I ended up in a uh, Tai Chi school, which was very, um, you know, this was, this was the early nineties. And so, and I was in uh, Minnesota, which is, was ground zero for the new age movement. Mm. And, uh, and so there was a lot of sort of uh, earth talk and, and goddess spirituality. And it was, it was all surrounding this Tai Chi uh, methodology that the teacher taught. And, uh, and so uh, we were deeply involved. We, we, we sort of, um, we sort of uh, became uh, inner circle members very, very quickly in the school. And uh, about five years in, we decided to set up a commune and we started uh, com this commune through the school. And so probably six, five or six couples moved in. And um, I was formative in setting that up. And uh, there's good way, I think there's probably good ways to do communes and not so good. And, sure. and, and, and our teacher had the final say, mm. and he chose the not so good way of setting one of these up. Which allowed him to uh, exert even more control, and so when we started in this school, we had a couple people warn us ahead of time and say, "You know, you need to be careful here." And um, we didn't listen. We were young and uh, seeking, and 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 um, and by the time I was done. It had all the markings of a cult. We lived in in the the um, in the commune for upwards of six years, five and a half, six years, and we had difficulty getting out because we owed so much money, and uh, and it was only later when I was researching cults for something and I kept coming across stuff. I was like, oh, this sounds familiar. That sounds familiar. I you know. And so it wasn't a full-blown, well, I don't know. I, I think all cults finally are different from every other cult, and they all have their own internal rules. So, you know, this one had a lot of things that, you know, if you, if you had some sort of checklist for cults, there's several things that wouldn't fit in. But there were others that really did. And, uh, and so <clears throat> when I came back into the church, uh, I, I had a keen awareness of, of um, how, how people can abuse other people spiritually. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
and so you know and we obviously we'll, we'll we can talk about those particulars but that's just sort of the background that got me into it and then there's a sort of a corollary here as well i had a several jobs while i was in the commune and one of the jobs was with uh, a chiropractic clinic that was deeply involved with Scientology. Mm. And so every, every other, which you know in Florida, is, and uh, so every other month I would have to go to sales training because I was, I was a salesperson for a chiropractic clinic. Right. And uh, I'd have to go to sales training run by high level Scientologists. Huh. And so I had to do that for like two, two and a half years. It was nuts. And uh, oh, yeah. so I know way more about Scientology than I ever wanted to. And um, and so I wasn't in it, but I was enough peripherally involved to be heavily. Uh, oh, yeah. Their, their, their sort of mindset pushed. You know that just just that introduction to your story uh, begs so many questions and raises so many questions in me. Right? It's like, as someone who you know, I've been in I've been involved at, in various ways over the years, on and off, with different kinds of martial arts. I started out boxing in middle and high school, uh, which there's really very little spiritual aspect to that. Uh, really, I mean other than just grit and toughness, at least in the Montana boxing style I was trained in and uh, keep moving forward and take a punch and hit harder. Like th- that was the spiritual side. And then um, as a young Marine, I tired of getting punched in the face, but still wanting to do martial arts. I bounced on and off with uh, Aikido. I would, I would train with a friend who, who had studied Aikido for a long time. And then I got involved in a couple of schools and my wife, especially put a lot of pressure on me when I told her about, going in and bowing uh, to a picture of the, of O-sensei. Uh, I can't recall his actual name. They call him the great teacher, O-sensei. And uh, Moriya Yushiba, I think, is his name. Yep. And uh, yeah, and so, and so um, at any rate, she would say, well, you bow down, isn't that like idolatry? And I would say, I don't know. I don't, I don't think they think of it that way. And, uh, but, you know, and then uh, over the years, uh, I got involved with a guy doing totally Christian karate, which really just hijacked, the martial art techniques for a kind of a Christian discipleship program, especially good for kids that I've taught on and off. And um, so, so the, the martial art piece is very interesting to me because, you know, there is, and I think there was maybe more so then probably is my guess um, a real emphasis on a lot of the Eastern mysticism, the Eastern thought, the Tao uh, and those sorts of ideas. And some of those ideas have practical value in the real world. And some of those ideas, I think you can even pass them through like this this man who invented this uh, totally Christian Karate program. You can kind of filter them through the Bible and and find some practical utility. But, but But even that begs the question, right? Because it's like, I am so careful on what I would call a cult but like you said, it's, it's difficult to even find a proper checklist as to what is yeah. and isn't a cult. And then like my wife always keenly observes, she's like, well, but doesn't that kind of depend on your point of view? It's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's somewhat subjective. However, there does seem to be some concrete things that we can identify when something is, let's say, and I think of it this way, that if something is spiritual abuse, which I was something like level one in on the spectrum, I would suggest, and then cultic behaviors. And now you start to see 
I think where you can start to, to, to define cults and more concretely, and this is where the literature on the subject from Christian tradition or from psychological and sociological tradition start to get more specific, right? So then the cultic behavior, like spiritual abuse can, can take a lot of forms. Cultic behavior starts to be more concrete about the control, uh, heavy manipulation, isolation, going out and do it. Like you said, there's, okay, there, is, there are some people like um, I've been to Israel and there are kibbutzes where they're, where they're like, they're kind of like communes, but I don't think there's a, like a cultic control influence. Maybe, I don't know a lot about them. Yeah, uh, yeah. But, you know, like a work community where they produce the same thing. And, and, yeah. and, and then there are full-on cults where, mm-hmm. you know, from anyone from an outside perspective would say, for sure, you know, isolation, manipulation, control, uh, you know, yeah. invading people's personal identity, even uh, brainwashing tactics. So all, all of that is, is, is hugely specific. I mean, how would mm-hmm. you, what, what do you think? Um, have, have you thought through, or what would you say just to um, impromptu answer to what, what maybe, what kinds of things do you think constitute starting on that spectrum somewhere, spiritual abuse? I mean, what, what, what are yeah. some, of the, some of the ways that we might define it? I think, um, so yeah, I, I've given a lot of thought, I've, given thought to this since we since we decided to do this and um you know i think there's in in matthew 20 jesus is talking to the disciples and he says um i i have it here he says okay you you know that the rulers of the gentiles lord it over them and their great ones are tyrants over them it will not be so among you so i think um it's very personality driven, a lot of spiritual abuse. And, and it's when, when the group or the person begins to lord it over mm. the people they're with. I, I, and I think that's your, that's sort of your, your breaking point for the trajectory towards spiritual abuse. And, and, uh, and by lording it over, mm. I think um, there's lots of ways to think about that, but where you become, and this is hard for pastors across the tradition, sure. but I've always thought of pastoring ever since I got in, came back into the church and got my master's of divinity as, as an encourager, sure. first and foremost. And, and we're, we're, we're not the rule setters and we're not even the, the, the enforcers of the rules that, that damages mm what our what our work is and um and so and so once once you become the you know the controlling factor and the gateway for the ideas of the faith in in imposing on the other person's experience of faith you know, in the Christian context, right, right. I'd say in any spiritual context, once, mm. once the the guide or the pastor or or imam, rabbi becomes the controlling factor for the faith experience of the person, now you're well on your way to spiritual abuse. Oh, sure, he's taking the place of God in in the exact way that Jesus is talking about right here. Right, he's taking the taking yeah. the role of authority. I like the way you just said that the guide, 
you know, mm-hmm. uh, I, among the reasons that I have gravitated towards and, and let's say invested into and stayed within the congregational way, uh, is really that sort of historic identity, like pilgrims on a journey of faith. And I see myself something like, um, a learned friend who's, who's walking along that path with you, trying yeah. to help, help identify the hazards and, and point the way to Jesus, you know, but anytime I have served some churches where there were a number of members who, you know, would say things like, well, it wasn't church unless you stepped on my toes. And, 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 and I, and I guess I understand some people want to be challenged, but, sure. the, but the sweet spot is like, from God's word, challenging and encouraging and always pointing the way to grace. I like the way Spurgeon said it, I take whatever I'm preaching on, I start with the text and I head straight for the cross because there is hope. And it's like, rather than, rather than, um, yeah. And, and, and there's always a temptation. There are people in churches or people who come looking at times of trial and they're looking to you for a certain kind of guidance, but it's, a, but it can be a, an easy uh, uh, slip from guidance to control. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, and there's all kinds of places. I mean, Christian churches, as, as we're talking about here, are, are no yeah. strangers to, to uh, spiritual abuse, as we've seen throughout right. the history, and especially now. And, um, but, uh, you know, and there, um, some other ways, I think, uh, spiritual abuse becomes uh, clear is where um, money becomes a priority. And sure. so people are having to pay like entrance fees essentially for the experience. And, and you know, so controlling how money moves. And you know, right. if, you, if you're having to pay for access to, to the spiritual experience or even the scripture, you know, yeah. Yeah. then you've got some serious issues to contend with there oh that's huge yeah and so you know money is where we place our value Mm -hmm. and um and then i think uh some of the another big avenue sort of gateway to spiritual abuse which allows a person in power to control other people is uh us them thinking sure and Christians are are, uh, are have have uh, a sordid history of us them thinking. Oh, we have a great tendency in that direction, right? Yeah, yeah. I heard a great podcast. Uh, a bunch of uh, sort of um, uh, hardcore Orthodox priests mm. talking, and uh, it was great. It was they were talking about. Uh, Halloween and different ways of thinking about Halloween, but they made it clear over and over again. I just really liked it. They said, human beings, the people you live around are not the enemy. Mm. They are not your enemy. Whatever they're thinking, whatever they're doing, whatever they believe, human beings are not the enemy. Absolutely. Amen to that. Yeah. There's there's forces that are imposing upon us that have far more influence that we need to be concerned about than in those uh, I have a I have a good friend in in Suffolk Virginia who uh she always says it this way she always says she always says why are we judging the world for being the world when if you just look in the bible Jesus is time and again telling you to go out into the highways into the byways and to bring these people in if they were already in 
Well, then we could talk to them about, hey, you're in. This is how we act when we're in. Let's try to work on it. Yeah. So, so it's like, yeah, 100%. Yeah. The, the, that's yeah. not, yeah, the mission field is not the enemy. No, that's no. Right. No farmer goes and sets his uh, sets his wheat on fire because he, he he you know because it's not doing just what he wants you know he wants to <laughs> exactly. work the field. Yeah. yeah, and I just think that was that was a really powerful way of thinking Absolutely. some of this. And so you know, and I I think the, the the fruits of the spirit from you know Galatians five just mm. you know as leaders. And, you know, I think, I think it would be good for uh, our congregations to think of themselves as leaders too. So I'm not just sure. speaking about you and I as pastors, Absolutely. Yeah. but, but as, as leaders, you know, continually coming back to self-control, gentleness, kindness, mm. care, and, you know, and just really, uh, because it's so easy to give in to the power and control that's available in 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 uh, this world, you know, in in any in any in any way of of being, but you know, just so just at this level of spiritual abuse, right. which in some ways is like you said, level one before you start moving up into cultic practices. Um, right. It's, it, yeah. You can head off a lot of things at the very start here. You know, I think of, you know, uh, the great example of this, the most extreme example is Jim Jones, mm. Disciples of Christ pastor, who was a pastor for years in San Francisco and set up great uh, interracial ministries in the area, fed the poor. And then it just sort of gradually sort of started accelerating into this bizarre personality cult you know it led to the death of a thousand people and so um in all of these things we've talked about it became about money and right you know, who controlled people's money he separated people from their families and uh created an us them environment and um oh absolutely i you know there's uh, i've watched there's a certain documentary on that uh on jim jones i probably watched the thing 20 times and I, I've, I've, there's a couple of things that, that, have, that have come to light. I sometimes have joked and said, how did this man amass so much control? I can't even get people to come to church on time, you know? Yeah, right. And uh, so there's sometimes I'd be like, well, I just want like half a percent of what he had. Okay. But then, but then more seriously, I've, I've looked at it to try to understand what happens in a group environment, you know, I, I, where something could become that. And on the, on the part of the, the leader uh, or the, you know, the Jim Jones in that situation. It's like, I've known a number of preachers over the years that I, I sometimes think fall victim to something like, I'll call it sometimes doctrinal anxiety, and they make themselves the doctrine police. And it's like, they take upon themselves this, this uh, and, 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 and I look at it out of its strictest humility, because when I see spiritual abuse practices, I'm very careful to say, God, I don't want to do that. I want to make sure that I'm as free from yeah. that as possible. And uh, they, they, they get a sense of doctrinal anxiety, I think, sometimes. And then they see the people in their pews or, or, or more, or maybe as much. They see the world. They seem so off course. And they're going to they got to control it. They got to fix it. Yeah. And, then, and then they do the thing 
uh, I most recently lived in the suburbs of Detroit, and I used to listen to this this preacher in Detroit all the time on local radio. And he had this phrase he used to say all the time. He say, "You ain't got to be somebody's Holy Ghost." And it's like, it's <laughs> like, a, yeah, exactly. Crazy. You ain't got to yeah. be somebody's Holy Ghost. It's like there there is a, a tendency on the part of the leader, I think, and maybe who knows what was going on in the mind of Jim Jones exactly. That at least at the early onset of this, the maybe you know spiritual abuse light, if there is such a thing, is like I just want to control the people for their sake. But then you got to be so careful with that because then now you're saying you're defining what is their sake instead of. You know, again, like uh, 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 as, as a sort of inherent component to some of the tenets historically that have been woven into the identity of a lot of these congregational churches that we serve and that and that I, and that I've yep. served a few. Uh, it's like the idea of a group of people in covenant supporting one another in the faith of Jesus with an open Bible, an open mind, and a heart filled with the Holy Spirit, and then doing all of those inherently biblical things, spurring one another on to love and good works, you know, supporting one another, grieving with those who grieve, to where it becomes a, a, a covenantal community, life on life, people are growing in their faith because they're being encouraged by one another to do so, not controlled or pressed or manipulated. Yeah, that, at, at least on that, I, I think your your ideas for definition are right on point, because at least at that early level, it's a temptation that a lot of people could fall fall into uh, and a lot uh, on both ways, being victims of it or themselves uh, victimizing. And, and, you know, who knows, in some cases, probably there are, are environments where it's that whole thing is hard to discern who's doing the what. Yeah, well, and you coming out of, you know, the, the charismatic traditions. Yeah. You know, I, I think one of the great values of those traditions is w- when it's done well, I mean, they don't have, they don't have a real, uh, it's coming about, but, you know, they don't have a real solid uh, theological sort of testimony. Sure. In, in, yeah, you know, that's right. It's varied vastly. Very which is yeah. fine. But, um, yeah. But one thing that comes out of that, I think, that is really uh, speaks to our congregational tradition as well, which I grew up in a congregational church. And Mm. so I had a great pastor when I was growing up. And and so it influences a lot of my thinking here Mm. is trusting the Holy Spirit. Amen. And 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 when we when when I say that, I don't mean it just for myself. I mean that I trust the Holy Spirit in the people I'm serving. Right. So, so it, it really creates a, a corral for my telling other people how to think about these things. If I'm just, you yeah. know, Jesus tells us two things, love the Lord and love one another. And then the rest is just stories and showings by way of miracles and, and doing things that are meant for us to take it in and be like, Oh, what does that mean? How do, how do we do, what do we do with that? You know? Oh and, yeah, absolutely. I I've said for years, to kind of paraphrase what you just said. I don't want to tell people so much what to think theologically, but to try to teach them how to think theologically exactly. and That's then point exactly. them, point them in the direction of God's word and, and of the living witness of the church's yeah. tradition, you know? Yeah, and have some confidence and trust in the Holy Spirit, which is right. what we've all agreed to, especially in our covenantal yeah. tradition. You know, we all say something about the Holy Spirit in our covenants. Right. 
or we should if yeah. we don't. Yeah, absolutely. We fight it, I think. But um, but that that you know that's where we experience what the Holy Spirit's doing. Oh, I heard you say this thing, and it inspired me to go talk to my brother who I haven't talked to in twenty years. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah, some, sometimes, not, some, sometimes not even exactly what has, I'm sure this has happened to you. Every pastor I know yeah. this happens to. My wife has told me sometimes, she said, you wouldn't believe what so-and-so said about <laughs> your sermon. And I'm like, yeah. what? And I, let's say I'm preaching on, I don't know, uh, maybe I'm, I'm talking about, uh, I, I'm, I, it's, a, it's a rare sermon for me where I'm like deep in the Hebrew, I'm deep in the <laughs> Greek, and uh, I'm talking about something that really should have just gone over a lot of people's heads. And then she says, yeah, that, you know, old so-and-so said they're going to call their cousin that they had a fight with 20 years ago because you said that Jesus tells you to be reconciled. And it's like, no, I didn't. But, but, <laughs> but, but, yet, but yet it's like, it's like from the pulpit, I'm shooting arrows into the audience. And sometimes God chooses the type of flame that the Holy yeah. Spirit lights. It, and it's like, okay, great. It must have been the Holy Spirit working. Uh, or like you, like you listen to a sermon uh, I always listen to my own sermons on Monday and my mm-hmm. wife heard me one time. She says, are you seriously listening to your own sermon? I said, you know, good preaching is hard to find. And uh, of course I'm tongue in cheek, you know, but I'm listening yeah. to it to critique it. And there are mm-hmm. times that I'll listen to a sermon and I'm like, man, to quote DL Moody, I wouldn't walk across the street to listen to that. But somebody <laughs> else said it was life transformative. And it's because the Holy Spirit was at work. It wasn't that I did a good job of being the doctrinal sheriff or I, or, or, you know, so yeah, it's fascinating. That's really, I think that's super. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, there's another side to spiritual abuse. I, I think, so one of the dangers of thinking about through some of these things is, is disempowering people who've already been disempowered. Sure. And so, and so um, people make a choice in a lot of these situations to, to follow people that they see as, as spiritually advanced, as, right. as closer to God, however it is. And, and so there, there's, there's a, a dynamic that happens there that's mutual. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to yeah. just say people are being completely manipulated here. People that's right. You've got to kind of give away that power to a large extent, yeah. right? You've got to. Yeah. yeah. So it becomes difficult I think I think back to my wife and I when when we were first involved in this 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 martial arts school in the Twin Cities and um, you know we had uh, my parents who you know I, my relationship has been shaky with them uh, on occasion uh, so I don't listen well I don't listen well to authority figures <laughs> anyway right me and either. so. Um, <laughs> And uh, so, and parents, least of all, probably, <laughs> but, but so we, uh, you know, parents, uh, a, you know, a close friend, the mother of a close friend who introduced us to the school, you know, she took us aside and said, here's some things you need to watch out for. Um, we had somebody who was deep into the school who realized the trajectory we were headed on. And he took us aside and said, listen, here's some things you need to know. We just didn't hear any of it. Mm. Just went ahead and did the thing and talked amongst ourselves. And, you know, and yeah. Yeah, we had issues and we had, you know, problems, I guess, you'd, you know, deep, you know, 
things that required therapy and whatever uh, mm. that hadn't been worked out that led us down that path. But I also, we chose to do it. You know, we right. decided to do it. We decided to spend the money. We, we became formative people in the school. And so, you know, there, there was this, this agency that I had in those choices that mm. I think needs to be, I, I would even go so far as to say respected in some ways, because mm. otherwise you're not going to respect yourself on the other side of the experience. Sure. That's an, that's an interesting insight for sure. Yeah. There's like a mutual responsibility. We're quick to call out a cult leader, but we need to also be quick to train up people. I think that was the content. That's yeah. what you put. I think that was the content on that Facebook post where I had said right. so, something like, um, you know, uh, you can, you can identify first and foremost, it seems to me, at least in the Christian context, it's like, is the, is, are you being pointed to the word of God, to the living witness of the church, or are you being pointed to that man? Is he developing uh, some kind of cult of personality or, or that person? Um, and you're like, yeah, you commented something like pointing, looking to the word of God. So a person, a spiritual seeker, a Christian has a responsibility to train not just to be trained up, but to train themselves up in right. truth. I mean, it's like the, the, old, you know, the, the overly cited adage for knowing the truth is like, you know, counterfeit, counterfeit uh, money. The people uh, say work for Department of Treasury who want to know the, the, if it's counterfeit, they master what's real. And so mm. a person has to master what's real and, and, yeah. and, and, and then be discerning and have some, some wits about them. And like you said, on the back end, that's a really important insight, I think, both on a psychological and a spiritual level. It's like, you don't, don't just blame what the person or people sort of what happened, but take responsibility that that was a decision you made. And then own that, take extreme ownership of that so you can be better equipped for making future decisions. And also, so that, may, may, you know, I suspect there, there probably are a number of ways that you grew uh, through those experiences. Yeah. And so it's like, well, it's a decision I made you know, maybe it was regrettable, but it's like, okay, how, how do I, yeah. you know, learn from that? Mm -hmm. and one of the other things I wanted to bring up too, yeah. and I think um, Christian pastors are particularly susceptible to this, but I, I, again, many spiritual leaders are, and it's uh, one of the things my teacher did in the, in the school we were involved with is he'd create a spiritual glass ceiling. Mm. So, uh, and, and, you know, I, I have questions about so-called spiritual advancement and what mm. that actually means, or even spiritual growth and sure. sort of how, how that works. But, but when you, when I, as, as the pastor or the spiritual leader become the determiner for when a person excels, right. Uh, that also becomes a problem. Mm. One of the things my teacher used to do uh, would be to, he, he, he was also a therapist. And so he had all sorts of techniques for, for mining people's experience. And so as I would get closer to this sort of spiritual awakening, he, he would remind me of something from my past, mm. which would would drop me back down again. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's dark, deeply and darkly manipulative, right? Yes, very much so. And so, yeah. so uh, I have no idea what was going on with him, but I suspect part of it was a fear of the student becoming mm. 
greater than the teacher. Right, right. And so, so he created this spiritual glass ceiling. And, uh, you know, and so the, these are more subtle things mm. that can happen as well. And uh, Oh, it's almost like in churches, we could be guilty of giving out invisible uh, belt rankings. Uh, yeah, right. you know, right. It's like, oh, well, yeah, you're not quite ready for that blue belt, you know, but, but we yeah. would never call it that, but it's exactly. like, you know, like I, I take tons of people on mission trips, uh, some, some nationally and, and regionally over the years, mm -hmm. but, but especially to Haiti with our work there. And there, I, I recognized early on, and I thank God for it, that there would be a potential for, for me or for those around me and I, I actually weave this into devotions when we have teams in Haiti to remind them to be careful about this mentality. You didn't just get your spiritual black belt because you went on a, I don't say, I've only ever said that phrase now, but I think I may adopt that <laughs> phrase in the future. Right. Uh, you, you didn't get your spiritual black belt because you went on a mission trip. Whereas yeah. somebody else who maybe for, because of life circumstances or, or whatever reasons has, did not choose to go on that same mission trip. It's easy in a lot of uh, modern churches, I think, in the culture today, in, in the churches, to make that mission trip, like that's that's a point of advancement. Oh, you just broke the thick board uh, or whatever, uh, whatever it is. And um, right. and then there's, but there's others, like who gave how much? That financial piece will come in big yeah, time. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, as if that has some sort of measure. For right, it. right. Yeah, and uh, yeah, that's very American too, right? I mean, that, you know, the more oh, yeah. money, the more the more uh the more advanced you are the more knowledge you have the more whatever oh yeah right 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 you became the sunday school teacher now we're going to award you your uh, purple belt it's like That's you know right. I've, I've never thought of it in these terms until right now but i'm finding this this very helpful uh yeah. to, to yeah. think of it in that way because it, it can be a kind of a invisible belt ranking um, right right I, how do you go about that's the, i guess you know that's something that is really interesting to me too it's like when you were on the precipice of entrance into that uh, commune, people tried to warn you about it. Um, I, I guess I would want to ask you a couple of questions. Like, uh, is it is it even useful to try? Uh, how would one try? And then it's like, you know, what what's the best way? To, let's say you have a friend, a family mm. member, somebody you love. I mean, what would you? Yeah. What kind of advice might you give them? You know, to 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 try hard to, to keep them out of it, to be available if they, if they choose to come out of it. I mean, what, what kind of advice might you give somebody in, who was in a situation on the precipice of that as you were? Yeah, I, you know, it's really hard. I mean, it, part, so much is dependent on what the person is like. And I'm pretty strong headed, and I don't, <laughs> you know, but, um, <clears throat> and so I think, I think uh, you you can't tell them no because they'll double down, mm. you know. Especially in this day and age, where right. the double down is is the is the confirmation of the reality, mm. you know. And um, and you you uh, can't. I just I think you you have to be present for them, mm. and you have to. Uh, even if they get involved, you have to figure out a way to stay present with them and not allow the the cult or or the, or the, whatever the program is to determine the nature of the relationship you have with them. Sure. Person. 
That's important, which will take a lot of personal strength on your part. Yeah, right. And, um, and you know, sometimes I think uh, for my wife and I, I don't know if anyone could have stopped us, mm. you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I think once a person is in, if you can maintain contact, you just become the alternate worldview mm. that helps them see maybe things aren't the way mm. I thought they were based on what this person is telling me. The wake up call for me was two things in our, in our situation in the school. The first one was the birth of my daughter, mm. my child and the birth of my child. And, and they, uh, <clears throat> They, they, uh, they identify as non-binary now, so I'll use the proper pronouns for that. Sure, and, sure. Uh, and uh, they, um, uh, were quite a handful. Nothing about what my teacher had said about raising a child matched my mm. personal experience. Sure. I was like, none of this is working. Reality, reality conf confronted their philosophy, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and uh, I was like, okay, I'm beginning. And, and furthermore, he was not uh, reticent about giving us, Kate and I, advice about how to raise our child. Mm. And so, um, so that was the first thing that the, the what was being said and the reality weren't matching up. And then the other thing was, uh, you know, one of our great cultural events, 9-11. Uh, mm. And I was sitting in a teacher's circle, which I had to pay to be a part of. We had mm. to pay to be a part of the teacher's circle, even though I was teaching six or seven classes at that point right. for the school. And uh, um, we were sitting in the circle a couple weeks after 9-11, and one of the teachers of the school said, I was walking around the other day and I was looking into people's faces and all I saw was just blankness and, 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 uh, and, and uh, lostness and they weren't, they weren't there. And uh, I was so glad I had a place like this where people were, are awake and aware. And I just stopped. Kate and I had gone to, to a church service mm -hmm. Uh, the weekend after 9-11 mm. and, um, and I just I said to him I said what do you think people were doing this past weekend after all this happened and he said I, I don't know I said they were in church yeah they, they by the were, droves by the droves yeah. churches were standing room only across mm. the nation people what did they do when a tragedy happened, they got together with one another. Right. How, how can you walk out into the world and see people in that way as dead right. inside? How, how, how can you see other people in that way? And, and that, that was, was more of that us versus them type of thing exactly. going on, right? Yeah. yeah. And that was, that was reinforced in all kinds of ways throughout mm. our time there that sort of other, you know, other people don't mm. see what we see kind of well what if what if right. they did you know and that's that's one of my things you know in 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 um jeremiah jeremiah 30 i think it is where where 
the prophecy is that we will no longer have to teach about God because right. everyone will know God. I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, right. But, uh, how, how, what if that moment were actually true now? Hmm. You know, what if we're the ones who are supposed to be learning rather than telling? And, right. You know, I mean, I use it as a thought experiment. I, you yeah, know, I, yeah. I don't, but, but what it does is it helps me see that divine humanity in every person. You know, oh, that's, absolutely. That's what's going on there. And, mm. and uh, I, so when dealing with somebody either in a situation like this or being drawn into it, mm. helping them maintain that not only about themselves, but about other people in the world, I think can go a long ways because what, what you want them to discover, it seems to me, is how what they're being taught and what's actually happening are not the same thing. That's right. That's right. That, 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 that there is yeah. a sort of dissonance present. Yeah. And, that, and that seems to be the tool of the, of the serious um, cult leader or heavy spiritual abuser, if, if these terms are, can be, uh, you know, as such is like to maintain that dissonance and then and then in that space that's created because of it then you can exercise whatever it is what like you said what for whatever reason some people's some people's gain is financial some people's is control some people's is a deep-seated dark problem within themselves that manifests itself as all this manipulative behavior and somehow they're satisfying some kind of brokenness in themselves which may only be furthering the broke i mean there's a lot that could that could lead to this kind of behavior, everything from immaturity to the darkest of motives. Um, yep. Yeah, I tell you, I, that's this. I, I'm loving learning uh, and hearing about your perspectives. Um, I'm going to have to move towards us wrapping it up for this time sure. soon. Um, I tell you what, though, you, you, th- th- you and I have so many different things in common that, that, that uh, we'll have to do this again sometime. We will. On, I'd love that. on a related or a you know it's one of the topics that that sort of uh, started to come out in this. Um, yeah, I've, I, yeah. I've felt that between you and I that we have some. Oh yeah, I think so. I tell yeah. you, I'd I'd love to just have a, a discussion about. Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know if it would be interesting to anybody other than me, but I would love to talk about uh, Christianity and the martial arts. Although, uh, oh yeah, you know, because th- yeah. there's a lot. There's a lot there to unpack. I mean, there's a lot. You know, and there's some really strong views. Uh, yep. and, uh, if we could do it in a way that was, uh, that was not overtly <laughs> offensive, I think, exactly. which I think we could, I think we could, uh, I went, the one last thing I'd want to say yeah, please. Is, is my experience in, in, uh, that community and, uh, and some peripheral experiences in other places as well, um, is, uh, I came away with a really strong sense of the reality of evil in the mm. world. That evil is a real thing. Mm. It's not just sort of an interpretation, a misinterpretation of the good, which is one right. of the definitions. That it's a real force. It's personal right. and it cares about you. You know, it's it's intentional. And so, you know. Absolutely. Part of, part of our work is to, to create a, a um, you know, not to fight it, to fight evil. 
Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I appreciate you taking the time to have this conversation. Honestly, I've had in my heart for years to do something like a podcast of this type. And I've, Mm -hmm. I've thought about it. And I I, we had a few people when I was up in uh, southeastern Michigan that we were interested in doing it, we had some conversations about it. And uh, everyone becoming so adept with uh, these kinds of platforms, zoom and so on made me realize, you know, there's nothing really stopping from doing this. And I think that some of these conversations uh, can really, you know, get to the right person, the Lord, the Lord willing and, and have some influence on them. And, you know, you never know these days you, you put stuff out and there's no telling who, to whom it might be received and have been very helpful. So it's been very helpful for me. I really appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time yes. and, uh, God bless you up there. Uh, <laughs> enjoy the little bit more warmth you have left, right. uh, before, <laughs> Is it? yeah, be- like before the world. Oh boy! Before the winter sets in, I'm I can't wait for winter. South Southwest Florida is beautiful, and uh, it's exactly like Haiti. It's hot or hotter, uh, ex- <laughs> except in January and February. So, nice. yeah. Well, well, God bless you today. I'm gonna go ahead and uh, sign off. And uh, thanks so much. Thank you.